All right. What's up? I'm here with Ryan Evans. I keep saying when I bring the podcast back that I'm back on a regular basis. Now, I don't know. But the podcast is back, at least for right now. It's back. I'm going to bring it back multiple times for it to be serious. Ryan Evans, the catalyst, good friend of mine. We're going to talk marketing. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. So, not just marketing, though. In particular, we're going to talk about why so many people keep building things, thinking that if they build it, people will come. That's the central theme we're going to talk about today. And since I'm knee-deep in the yoga world now, we're probably also going to talk a little bit about the Lululemon founder and his marketing tactic, talking about women who can't wear his pants. Yep, I think it's, I think it's a, a controversial, but... Uh, pretty brilliant um, strategy. All right, so why don't we just kick it off with you? You talk to people all day long. So Ryan Evans, uh, real quick, he's a good friend of mine, but also the founder of a company called Lift Marketing that does marketing for small businesses and also the founder of Bite Size PR. So why don't you just talk a little bit real quick about your business and what you do and the product and all that. Sure. So Lyft Marketing is uh, an online marketing company, so we only focus on digital marketing, which is pretty much what most people think of marketing now, but uh, I've said that so often that it's, it didn't used to be the case. So we focus a lot on social media marketing. Uh, we help people get traffic to their website through Google and that sort of thing. Uh, I also own Bite Size PR, and that essentially helps small businesses uh, get press. So it's not a traditional PR agency, as people typically think of it. It's a service. It starts off at $89 a month. Uh, and that's been a, it's been a nice business. It started off as a side business, and it's, it's grown into something uh, very real now. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped about it. And there's a, a sort of alternative side of Bite Size PR for reporters. That's true. Yeah, there's a, another uh, side of it called Source Loop, and essentially that helps journalists find experts uh, for their stories. Right. So for those of you that don't know Ryan, this is like perfect business for Ryan because it's basically what he does all the time anyway, is connect people who may have a need with something with other people who might be able to solve that need. Right. You're sort of like connector guy more than sales guy or operations guy, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I, I like talking to people. I have a genuine interest in like what people are doing. I, like talking business is kind of my sport. So I don't know anything about sports really. Uh, I don't know. Like, people ask me about Chicago teams. I have no idea. But uh, I do enjoy talking about business models and I love learning about what people are doing, how they're trying to do it, you know, hearing about their wins and losses. I like that. And so I think just by, by my nature, whenever I hear someone tell their story, I always think of someone else that I've talked to that maybe there's a so I really do love connecting people. Well, you may not know a lot about Chicago sports, but I can tell you one thing. Next year, Cubs World Series champions. Absolutely. I'll probably <laughs> know when the Cubs win the World Series. But. All right, so we've, we talk a lot. So Ryan and I share uh, a space in a co-working space. We both work out of the same co-working space that Ryan started a few years back. Um, and we banter back and forth quite a bit about just how to get the word out there about our products and the difference between marketing and sales and all that good stuff. 
But we both work with and talk to people who are uh, launching a product or building a business or they have a new idea. Some of these people are clients of ours. Some of them are friends of ours. Um, some of them are friends of friends who we've met or whatever. But there is a common theme that goes even right into all the way up into things like Code Academy and whatnot where there is far more... Emphasis on learning how to write code and building a product than there is on doing sales or marketing or whatever. So why why is this? Um, I, I, there's a lot of reasons for it, and we've talked about a few reasons. I mean, some of it is that people are just if you're into coding, if you're into developing product, a lot of times um, you are not the social butterfly out talking to everybody and you're not thinking about how to promote whatever you're doing out into the world. So that, that's a small part of it. Um, I think, though, that the main reason for it is that there's this a very strong meme that's developed that essentially everything is about the product. So if you develop the perfect app, the perfect anything, that you don't really have to worry about marketing. Because the world has changed, there's social media, there's Google, and people will just find you. And I think that what makes this meme particularly powerful is that at the core of it is it has some truth to it. There is some truth in that. Um, if well, you, there's not just some truth, though. There's a lot yeah, of truth. There, there's right? a lot of like, truth. The product matters. The, the product absolutely matters. And it's become more important uh, over time, I think. Um, before, I think it was about... You know, if you had the, the money to put your message into as many ears as possible, um, that was really what it took. You know, you, you could get it done that way. Um, but, yeah, now the product's more important. Um, but I think it's important to varying degrees. So if you build a product like SpaceX and you're Elon Musk and you launch a rocket into space, you don't need to buy Google AdWords. Like, that people are going to know about you. You know, there's, there's not a lot of huge need to say, gosh, how do we do some content marketing to drum up some interest in my rocket I just launched in space? Um, but most people aren't building rockets. You know, most people, uh, their, their product isn't, you know, exceptional in and of itself and exceptional to a huge group of people just innately. So, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of where this, this meme sprung up is that, um, for some people, they don't need, need to do marketing. It seems like Apple doesn't need to do a lot of marketing. I think they do a lot of marketing, but um, they don't need to do as much because their product is innately exceptional. It is truly, truly exceptional. And so people, when they're building their whatever, they tend to think, well, if Elon Musk and you know Steve Jobs didn't have to do marketing, I don't either. The problem is that you... More than more likely than not, your product is in that exception. And it's extremely, extremely rare to have something like that that's mind-blowingly amazing that everyone just has to talk about. That you literally only have to tell two people, and the whole world will know about it. There is very, very few people that develop something like that. So, what that leaves you with is uh, a space in which um, marketing is is kind of a, a required thing for survival. It's required you know, to, um, to get out there and to do anything worthwhile with your 
product. Um, so that's that's kind of you know my take on it. And I, you know, we talked a little bit about why people push that off. Like why do people want to focus on code, focus on product, focus on you know other things other than marketing? And the reason I think that people do it is fear. They are afraid of getting uh, you know, getting rejected. You know, it's very hard for people. People have a very hard time pitching anything. Pitching the press, pitching investors, pitching customers. It's, it's, a, it's a very difficult thing for people to go over uh, most of the time. So, uh, right, right. Fear. so if you take it deeper, yep. fear of what? What's the fear? The fear is that their, their fantasy that they've conjured up in their head. So, you know, the, the year or two or ten or however long they've been dreaming about being off on their own, having this big success has built up so much to the point that you don't really want to face reality. You don't want to really like hear the hard news of, hey, that billion dollar um, company that you're going to uh, launch, maybe people don't care about it. Maybe you can't even get uh, people to retweet something that you said. Maybe you can't even get people to your website. Like, and yet in your head, you've already, you've already spent the billion dollar fantasy. You already have the yacht, you already have the success, you already in your head, you're already daydreaming about giving presentations on how you did it. And so by procrastinating the marketing, by pushing off the marketing, you are allow yourself to live in that right. fantasy for longer. The fantasy dies when the marketing begins. Basically. That's true. It's true because people realize that it's extremely difficult. It's, it's, right. it's extremely difficult to, to create and launch a good product. And it, it can be just as hard, if not harder, to... Uh, to market that product, right? And a new a new uh, photo app idea that you have until you attempt to launch it and put it out in the world, it has the potential. It could be as in, as big as Instagram in two years. That's right. That might happen. There's no small chance. But but three months and it's in the wild and you only have two hundred users. Yeah. Oh, now you're like a few million users behind Instagram. Reality starts to hit. That's right. And you have your night. Oh, fuck. Maybe I am not going to be the next Instagram. That's right. Every, I, I think every action you take, you're trading off fantasy for reality. Right. So every single thing that you do, you know, that you can't allow yourself to daydream or to, to fantasize about the number of customers you're going to have. Yep. When you have one or two, it becomes very difficult. But here's where I think there's like a, there's a flip side of it, though, which is, so when I take, when I look at Tula, in the early days, when we had a few customers, we sort, we had sorted out what we now know were like nasty bugs. And I'm glad we didn't have 500 people on the system at that time, run into, into that nasty bug. Right? We'd be, who knows what would have happened, right? Maybe that I'll be taking to Twitter and saying how terrible it was, instead of talking to like, a handful of customers and explaining what happened and then fixing it and then moving on. Right. So I heard, what's the saying? I heard one that like, the easiest way to kill a bad product is through good marketing. Yeah. Right? So what's the answer? What is like, you know, if, it's, if, if, if it is a true situation that you have to, uh, you may, maybe you want to take advantage of your product growing organically so that you can shake out some of the rough spots along the way. Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot, and I'm a huge fan of growing organically in every 
possible way. So I'm, I'm not a big believer in taking venture capital for most people in the way that people traditionally think about it, or angel money or whatever. Um, because, yeah, exactly your point. I think that you need time to figure out what it is that you're building. And there's, um, there's an interaction that happens between your product and marketing. You know? So every time, you're, every time you're putting yourself out there and you're, you're hearing, even why people reject you, that should inform your product decision. That should inform what it is that you build. Yeah. Right. Is this, you know, is this something for web designers that I'm building? Oh, actually, it might be more useful for programmers or whatever. And you can't know that just by the, by the product itself. There has to be some level of, of marketing. And I, I also think that, you know, there's been a little bit of a cop-out with Lean Startup is that now, and again, I'm sim- oversimplifying the startup. The right? entire technology community is ready to yeah. get mad at right Well, yeah, so <laughs> I think that there's a difference between, you know, surveying potential customers or people who might someday want to use your product and actually putting marketing out there and trying to get that credit card number. Yeah, right, right, There's, right, there's right. just a huge, huge difference. And people, another way that they procrastinate marketing is with, ah, I'm doing lean startup I'm calling, you know, 10 of my buddies or 10 people that I know. I'm asking them a bunch of questions, and they're telling me how brilliant it is. And I'm taking that information, and I'm building something. Uh, and then they're actually never, you know, going to buy it. Or they, they usually, now, to be fair to the lean startup, I mean, I think the idea is that you do try to get them to, to buy as quickly as possible. That's the piece that people usually leave out. Ah, I'm doing customer surveys. I'm going to do 50 customer surveys. Okay, great. That's fine. Uh, but... You know, you're not really going to learn anything until you actually try to sell to people. You know, and um, so I, in terms of what's the answer, what it's different for every company. I mean, some people, more marketing people, typically like you got to market first. It doesn't even matter what the product is. (laughs) Who cares? Like build your audience and sell to that. And the product people come up at it from the other other direction. I don't think there's necessarily a right answer. But yep, you have to have both. This is one of my things that drives that's been driving me crazy lately. I mean, it's sort of a long list sometimes. But I wrote a, a while ago. I wrote a blog post about how you never hear doctors like arguing about which vital organ is the most important, right? They're all just—they're all important. You need a brain, and you need a heart, and you need lungs, and like without them, your you know the body does not survive, right? But we don't, and, and that's my answer to all. It, it all matters. It all matters. The product matters. Design matters, customer service matters, sales matters, marketing matters, operations matters. Sometimes all that stuff is done by only a handful of people, but it all has to be done, right? A great, a great product, but there is like some weird like learning curve you haven't quite worked out, and and the difference between having like a really great person who respond to emails and nobody, and emails that just go into black hole can make the difference between having a hundred paying customers months and having five paying customers in a few months. Absolutely. So, all right, I yeah. want to talk about this Lululemon yoga pant fiasco. Sure. It's, to me, uh, so in case there are some people that don't know, my wife owns a yoga studio, and we make yoga studio software, so we're sort of you know, in the yoga world. Um, and people in the yoga world are very upset about it. This yoga cat thing, as they should. This guy sounds like the, the founder of Lululemon. He sounds kind of like a big asshole. Right. Um, 
I don't know a lot about him, so I don't really want to talk about him as a person. However, apparently he did say something to the effect of like, yeah, our yoga pants is like, don't really work with some women's bodies, right? Um, and so this has upset a lot of people, understandably. But what I find interesting is that they're focusing on the like actual thing that he's saying mm-hmm. about women's bodies and yoga pants, right. and trying to like argue points about women's bodies and yoga pants. Okay. So they're saying things like, you know, it doesn't, you know, his pants cost X amount of dollars, and they should be high quality pants, right? Which is a true statement, sure. right? Or they might say something like, well, it's just a fact of the matter that women's thighs, like, every woman's thighs rub together. Right? I was, so, my, Miley, so my wife's name is Miley. Miley got um, stuck in the internet, apparently, the last couple of days, reading all about the founder of Lululemon, <laughs> and so we've had, like, a ton of conversations about this. But that's the, so, that's the theme of all of it. Right. Talking about yoga pants and people and their thighs and men rubbing together. Right. But to me, it's just like a marketing thing. And it's like an intentional marketing thing. And everybody that's like writing blog posts about how angry they are at him, he's just like, it's so funny. All I have to do is like insult a few women, and then all these people will start writing about my yoga pants. Yep. Yeah, I, I think he's, you know, he's doing what's been done many, many, many times before and will be done many times in the future is that he doesn't actually care about yoga pants and, you know, uh, he probably, I, I don't even know that he's, I haven't, again, I don't know the guy either, but I do, seriously doubt that he's genuinely a misogynist and he's, you know, uh, you know, is, has a problem with any kind of woman or anything. But it is about getting someone to talk about you. There's two intersecting things that make complete 100% sense. One, say something that gets people to talk about you. Okay? And then two, as a company, make sure that it's in alignment with your brand, that you're building, the image that image that he's trying to convey is that you look beautiful in yoga pants, right? So by, by making a, a statement like that, what he's saying is that uh, these yoga pants are really for beautiful people. And so he's just tying those two concepts together. Uh, yoga pants, beautiful people. Yoga pants, beautiful people. Not anyone else. And in particular, my yoga pants are for beautiful people. Right? The, the yoga pants at Target... Those are the yoga pants for the women who don't really do yoga and walk around in them all day, or whatever, whatever, right? He's trying, in my mind, he's trying to say, our yoga pants are like the, what the good-looking people are wearing, and that's part of, like, the brand image that they're just putting out there, and they're fine with it. Absolutely. And the, and the thing is, I mean, that's, you know, you can't separate product and marketing, uh, we're talking about, you know, making people feel and experience your product, in part, is done by marketing large part is done by, by marketing. And what he's doing is saying, by for women putting on these yoga pants, I feel, feel beautiful. So that that message has been reinforced through this controversial statement. So wait, but okay. So you believe though that in order he's sending that message to a particular group of people at the expense of other people. I, I don't know. Because if you're somebody whose thighs rub together, maybe you think that you're you're not going to, like, you shouldn't wear the pants because they're going to, like, fray on you and then you're going to feel like your thighs are too big. I, I think there is a small section of the population that probably looks at it that way, but I think that people, even people who will say you're, you're overweight uh, and the yoga pants don't fit you very well, 
I think there's still an aspirational quality to it. It's sort of like our our view of the wealthy in this in this country. You know, the top one percent is only made up of one percent of the population, but ninety percent of the people think that they're going to be the top one percent someday, and it's something that they associate their their identity with. And I think that this is the same thing. So even if you feel like the yoga pants are too tight for you, don't fit you well. You're doing yoga and, and presumably you want to exercise and you're buying this product because you're trying to get your, you know, to, to improve your body or change your body. And so even for them, it's a good message, you know, because they don't, you know, they don't think of it that way. They still think of it as other people, you know. So I think it's, it's smart. I mean, I think he's hitting his target market and then some. So this is, so, so Miley believes that this is maybe going to blow up in this that it's um, that he has yoga ambassadors that are going to like quit in mass and, and all that kind of stuff. You, you think that's? Oh, I think that's that, that's not true. I don't think that will happen at all. I think that you know, um, I again, I'm, I'm very much generalizing. I think that some will. That is true to a certain extent. Um, but I think that a lot of people who do yoga are proud of you know how often they work out. Fact that they work out and they wear yoga pants to show off their body because they do yoga all the time, right? There are other pants you can wear at yoga, so I don't think that the people who are sporting those. No, pants, I think that if you wear yoga pants and yoga, you're wearing them because you—that's what you want to do yoga. In. I don't want to be wearing doing yoga in jeans. I need to wear yoga pants. No, but you very easily you can have yoga pants that are comfortable and baggy and like stretchy and you know it's not you know. Yoga pants are a limitation of science, right? Those aren't the only like pants that we can have in the world to do yoga. It's done by design. It's done, you know, it's done by design. People who do yoga, uh, you know, and are really into it, have great bodies. They want to show it off. My thing is, uh, I don't really disagree with anything you're saying, but I don't necessarily like. I think that there are. To me, it's sort of like, it's definitely marketing, but it's lazy marketing. It's, uh, you know, you could, I think you could argue that you could do a good job marketing a company like Lululemon without making a lot of women feel bad about themselves and without saying offensive things about women and without, you know. And, and there's, it's harder, it's harder to get people, so I think it's sort of like, it does a little bit say, you know, the way that you market says something about you as a company. No question. I agree with you. I think that there's, uh, if you want to look at it from a PR perspective or a branding perspective, they could have a brand that at the core of the brand is that we make women feel good about themselves. And if that was at the core of their brand, this would be a terrible thing for them. But it isn't. That's not the core of their brand. And you're right. All right, let's, so let's circle back uh, real quick about this, the fear of marketing and okay. focus on the product and the, the technology is everything, uh, or I should say that learning how to code is everything and all that. Because I think there's, so in addition to the fear of marketing and the fantasy dying the minute that you actually try to sell somebody and all that kind of stuff, um, there is, I feel like there's a, an undertone that like, the the people that help the engineers sell their wares that they're like replacing them, and then when you talk to 
people who have had success raising money, they talk about investors as if they're replaceable. Sure. And when you uh, talk to investors, they talk as if the engineers are replaceable. And I feel a little bit like as the community, the technology industry is sort of like acting like one of those big organizations where every department thinks their department is the most important department. Yeah. And and it's sort of not even really any more complicated than that. I think that's a lot. It's that it's the people who happen to know how to write code are also maybe some of the earliest and most influential bloggers. They're people who have open source projects that other people who know how to write code um, are. You know, are, are referencing and, and whatnot. And I think we're starting to see. So you know, TK of Tout, he's you know he's taking like a sort of like a leadership role, I believe, a little bit in terms of like this you know the culture of sales. And I feel like I'm seeing more stuff about sales. But the same could hold true for like people that make silicon chips or people who are excellent at marketing, or the people who make the glass, lenses, whatever this thing is, the camera is made out of, or the people who have cell phone tower, right? Because if the, if all the fiber is cut, it doesn't fucking matter anyway. Right. Your code's no good without, like, the internet. Right. I mean, some of it's good. But, you, you know what I mean? I just sort of feel like it's, everybody's, like, the, all yeah. what I do is the most important. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, it goes back to what, what you're saying, right? Everything matters, and it does. Then all those people who do all those different things matter, and they do. And I think that this "everyone needs to code" meme is 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 a little bit ridiculous. I mean, I, I think it's um, I think it doesn't. It's never hurt anyone to learn how to code. I don't think it, I think it's a great skill set to achieve and, and to want to do if that's what you want to do. But the, the idea that everyone needs to code is kind of silly. I mean, and I think that you only, you know, we're able to isolate ourselves more and more into these little, like, areas of the internet, and I think that, you know, that bounces around around people who code, or people who right. deal with people who code, and nobody else even, like, my mom doesn't, like, think everyone should code, you know, I think it's kind of a ridiculous idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that that is, so, I spent some time trying to learn how to code, yep. and I say trying to learn how to code because... I mean, I learned some code, and I learned how to code a bit. Um, in particular, I found myself very fond of playing with um, CSS far more, which you know is used the style web pages far more than I enjoyed like object-oriented programming. Um, but uh, you know, the result of that was a I had like a deep appreciation for the people who. Uh, professionally are writing code every day. Um, and it made me just sort of have a perspective I didn't have before. Right? So I think the other thing is, is that it is a true statement that for a number of people, they, at some point, they've learned how to code. And as a result of learning how to do that, they were like, man, I was able to like put food on the table for my family, and I was able to buy a house, and I can like pay my mortgage, and I can... Going like the Cape, and every you should of course you should learn how to code. This is great. Like, right. and, and but the thing is, is that that doesn't make it really different than anything you spend a lot of time 
understanding and knowing and learning. Like, if I spent time learning a lot about dinosaurs, I would probably have a certain perspective that I don't have now that might pick off some appreciation for something I'm doing now that I can, like, tie back to that or whatever. So I think that's... But that doesn't make writing code different than anything else in that regard. If you learn how to do it, and you learn it and get an appreciation for it, you will, like, have... Like a perspective you didn't have before. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that where people who talk about this go with it is that the future is in technology, right? So they see software and they see all these experiences being intertwined with our life a lot more. Quickly. And so I think that the idea is that code is, you know, the future language or whatever. It's like saying learning how to, how to speak English or something, which is different from other skill sets. And, and I, so I would say, you know, learning how to read and write probably everyone should. That's like a good you know, thing. And so I think people are trying to apply the same idea with code. But I just don't. I think that that's... See, that, so in that context, I do actually kind of agree with that. Like, I do think it would be good if my ch- like my children in school, like, they learned what HTML is. And they learned what CSS is. And they learned at least, like, as I call it, code is the game, not the position. Right? Because you should understand code as a whole. And, like... What it that it exists, right? Like my kids don't even know that code exists outside of me telling them about it, right? right. Been, so I don't know. I but on the flip side, I will say so. Whenever somebody, when I hear somebody say everybody should learn how to code, I would say okay. So my college roommate is a surgeon in Iowa. Yep. Um, he spends between ten and sixteen hours a day in the operating room. Like, literally cutting into people's bodies and sometimes taking out cancer. Right. Uh, no, I'm stoked. He shouldn't learn how to code. Right. He should learn how to keep doing, like, amazing s- stuff in the operating room. I agree. I agree. He shouldn't learn how to code. I, I think that saying people should learn how to Google things would be a much more true statement than saying people should learn how to code. Yeah. I think, um, so searching and connecting. So if you, uh, we were talking about this with a fellow friend the other day. I think that if you had to choose, okay, you, know, you have an 11-year-old, yep. and you're trying to teach them about the magical powers of the internet. I think you start with like how you can connect a form to a Stripe account, and when you do that, it sends an email to an email address that you have connected your if this then that account which sends off a text message that does something else that you hooked it up to and turns the light on in your house and you know that somebody filled out that form or whatever right I think that is far more valuable and more impactful for people depending on where they are on like the technology adoption curve Mm -hmm. than learning how to code like, no. you, you can learn how to build a business right. learning some of that stuff. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah, I, yeah. It's, it's a meme that's gotten out of hand. But, you know, to be fair, if you are really plugged into the sales community, uh, you'll hear people say that everyone needs to know how to sell. you got to <laughs> sell to your wife to do this. you got to sell to your kids that. You gotta, so it's, you know, same thing, different, different right. industry. Right, right. Well, and it just, but it, and it goes back to the whole, we all think that what we do is the most important thing. That's right. What we're good at is also the most important thing. Yeah. Skill to have. All right, well, 
conversation, my friend. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Thank you for, for joining me. We'll see if we see if we can keep this thing going. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I will say I'm, I'm more optimistic now than ever that I'm going to keep it going, and here's why. So Ryan knows that I, more than anybody, am willing, I'm willing to give it up for a good SAS product. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to, you know, if, if I think it's going to be useful and uh, save me a little bit of time, I will, my credit card's out. Yeah. It's out. So, John Buddha, mm-hmm. Chicago gentleman, has a new app called Simplecast. Simplecast.fm, for those of you who might be thinking to yourself, you know, all these guys are doing is talking and then putting it up. Yeah, he's got it on. Right, we don't. Um, or maybe we do, and you do too. So, uh, if you have thought to yourself, and, and by the way, I am, I'm just, I'm not, there's no, like, incentive for me to say this. I'm just, when I'm, when I'm a fan of something, I'm a fan. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell people about it. Simplecast.fm, I have tried many times to podcast in different ways. By far the easiest way, if you want to just have a podcast. Give it a, give your, make your podcast, they walk you through it, give you a feed, plug it into your iTunes, they walk you through it, takes five minutes and your podcast will be ready to go. Upload a file, even little, so design, moving further and further and further down the stack. You know what is very cool about Simplecast? You upload a file. And it will, when you upload it, rename that file to match the name of your episode. Maybe, maybe some people would not get as excited about, about this as I am. But I think that's like a perfect example of a little tiny design detail, like way deep down, you know, be below the user interface that somebody is thinking about. And it's just, it's nice. You, make, you just give it a name, give it a little description. Upload your audio file and you're done. I like it. I think I think podcasting is like pretty intimidating for people because of the technical. Even though it's not super super complicated, it's complicated enough to keep most people out. Right. And I think WordPress, you know, made people many people feel comfortable blogging. Uh, I actually think that more people know how to upload a YouTube video than know how to like create a podcast. Yeah, I'm sure. So I'm sure. I think that by making these simple like UX. Uh, products, you know, products that are kind of focused on the user, um, I think it will impact podcasting. Oh, I, I, I think that there's, I'm, I get a little angry at myself that I did. So we, I started the first episode was in 2010 or something. Yeah. And I think back, man, I should have. If I was kicking out one episode a month for the last three years. Yeah. But you know, hey man, you gotta, when you fall out of practice, sometimes you just gotta get back on one. Can't beat, my, can't beat myself up. Welcome back. It's good to be back. Thursday. And because now I'm on Simplecast, none of this, like, uh, whatever. I got to upload the file over here, and then I got to link to it from my blog, and then I got to pick. No, none of that. Just And nice little embed widgets so that when you post on your blog, you have a new episode, just embed it right there. Yeah. Works. Uh, mobile, desktop, doesn't matter. He doesn't care. With 100%. Anyway, so yeah, if you're looking to start a podcast, I recommend checking out Simplecast. I like them a lot. Um, I got nothing else, man. Thanks again. Thank you. All right.
All right.